You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that the eyes of our hearts might be opened to behold your Son, Jesus, in all of his radiant and magnificent glory, and that the seeds of the gospel sown now in weakness by the power of your Holy Spirit would go from strength to strength and take deep root in our hearts for your glory, but also for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe it's because I'm a child at heart, but I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love giving gifts. I like receiving gifts. I like receiving gifts more than giving gifts. I love friends and family. I love the gatherings. I even like the hustle and bustle of this season. Uh, which was why I was taken aback by someone who said to me recently, well, Christmas is for children. Well, such a statement borders on the immoral as far as I'm concerned. What is there not to love about Christmas? We ought to make a big deal out of Christmas because Christmas is a big deal. Hear what the author to the letter of Hebrews says. But in these last days, he that is God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through him, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The God who created the world the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-present God who is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who in our finite minds we cannot comprehend has made himself comprehensible as a baby. Why would the God of the universe do such a thing to be born in a barn of all places, and to have his first resting place be a feeding trough. Why would this great God humble himself in such a way, even humiliate himself in such a way? Well, the angel Gabriel tells us that tonight. He says to the shepherds and he says to you and me, for unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This great God has condescended and made himself known for two reasons. One, to save us. But then two, to rule as a king, a Savior, and a Lord. You know, growing up for the longest time, I thought that Christ was simply Jesus' last name. But in fact, 
Christ is not a name, it's a task, it's a role. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, in the same way that you have Bob the Builder. He came for a purpose. He was the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was foretold of in the Old Testament that we heard about in Isaiah tonight. The one who would come and rescue his people. The one who would come to save. He's come to save, which means he's not simply come to make himself known as this baby born in Bethlehem but was born with a purpose. And that purpose is to die. It might seem strange for us to think of this tonight at Christmas, but the same voice that cries out from the manger for his mother so many years ago is the same voice that cries out to his father from the cross, it is finished. And he came because sin is real. I started this year, beginning January 1, collecting news clippings, if you can find a newspaper anymore, uh, news clippings of the headlines. And I got to mid-February and it was just too depressing. And sometimes we think sin is just our bad choices or an abuse of the freedom that we've been given. But these things really are how sin manifests itself in our own lives. I had the privilege of preaching to our day school not that long ago, and I asked the students, who taught you how to misbehave? You know, they answered honestly, nobody. Why? It comes naturally to them. If it didn't, we wouldn't have to put hooks on cabinets or things over electrical sockets. Uh, We do that because we're prone to do those types of things. You know, when I was growing up and my parents would ask me why I did something bad, I would respond, I don't know. And when my kids responded in the same way, I would roll my eyes, but then I realized there's actually some truth to that. Don't you find yourself too, when called to account, finding that the very thing that you want to do is the very thing you find it impossible to do. The very thing you want to stop doing, you find it impossible to stop. Who will rescue us from this body of death? And so he's come to die. The cross is not a tragic mistake. It's not the result of political miscalculations but part of God's plan of salvation from the very beginning. Listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed." And you find in the Gospels that Jesus even says of himself that I must be handed over to suffering and death. This baby has come with a purpose to die and to be raised. How many of you here tonight, if you had a young child, a baby, 
would give the child to strangers, to strangers who would attack and kill the child. You'd rather die yourself, wouldn't you? So when God the Father, who is in total command, with absolute love and wisdom, gives up his son to strangers to kill him, it's got to be pretty serious, hasn't it? And our sin is serious. It is a separation between us and God, and no effort on our part will be able to bridge it. Yet God, in his infinite love and mercy and compassion, sends his Son to bridge that gap. It is strange that he would come as a baby. You know, I know that there are people out there that are afraid of babies, but a baby poses no physical or even metaphysical threat to any of us. And so it may seem odd that when the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 go to visit King Herod and they say, we have come seeking the king of the Jews who was born this day. Herod's response is what? That child must be eliminated. And he went to desperate ends to make sure of that by killing every male child the age of Jesus in that time frame. It's an extreme response. But what if the wise men had said, we come seeking the spiritual leader of the Jews, not the king? I believe Herod himself may have sent a gift along a note of congratulations, a looking forward to working with Jesus when he came into his position. But even Herod understood that Jesus is no mere spiritual guru. He's not a life coach. He's not a spiritual supplement to our everyday lives. And yet, we often respond to him just as Herod did. We are very happy to have God come into the world because he loves us, but we rebel at the idea that he lays any claim on our lives. And we even resent the notion that we need to be rescued and ruled by him. Why was Herod upset? Why are we upset? Because we all want to be kings of our own lives. That is the very essence of sin. We rebel against our rightful king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we actually think we know better? We might. I mean, think if you were to approach the manger and gaze down at this little baby. Why would you trust him? You may be the one who looks into the manger and thinks... He's just a baby. What, he, what could he possibly do for me? Or you may look and say, he's just a baby. I've never done anything that is in need of saving. I'm a good person. No, this baby is not for me. Or you may approach the manger and think, yes, this is a baby and he is far too weak to forgive anything that I've done. He doesn't know how far gone I am even now and where I may end up going in my life. No, 
He's too weak to save. And so you leave the manger and you either look to yourself or you look to the world for your own salvation, for your own validation, for your own way in this world. Because when it comes to our salvation, there are no half measures. But what my life has taught me, and probably yours too, is that the world is a harsh place. The world is not only against Jesus, the world is against you. That often I find that the world's word to me is no. The world devalues us because you see, you are just one of five billion people who lay claim to the throne. And yet, in spite of this rejection that the world gives to the Lord Jesus, Gabriel gives us another clue as to why he's come. He says, For unto you is born, unto you, for you is born a Savior, specifically, personally, for you. He comes to save you from, yes, sin, the law, and death. But have you ever thought that Jesus also comes to save you from God himself? For you see, sin is such a serious matter, and because of God's holiness, he can't tolerate sin, that his rightful response to sin is wrath. But it turns out that God loves us so much that God is so for you that in Jesus, he's against himself. That God himself takes upon himself the punishment of sin that we rightly deserve. And the word he gives to you and I is yes. During his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of companions were traveling in the country on horseback and they came to a river which had left its banks because of a recent flood. The, the swollen river had washed the bridge that crossed that point completely away. And so each rider was forced to ford the river on horseback, fighting for his life against the rapid currents. The very real possibility of death threatened each rider, which caused a traveler who was not part of their group to step aside and watch each individual go across on horseback on their own. After several had plunged in and made it to the other side, the stranger asked Jefferson himself if he would ferry him across the river. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on, and shortly thereafter, the two of them made it safely to the other side. As the stranger slid off the president's horse onto dry ground, one in the group asked him, Tell me, why did you select the president to ask this favor of? The man was shocked, admitting that he had no idea it was the president who had helped him. All I know, he said, is that on some of your faces was written the answer no, and on some of them was the answer yes. His face was a yes face. When you look 
into the manger and see the face of Jesus Christ, his face says yes. All of God's promises are yes and amen in this child. If he has come to be your Savior and Lord, to save you and to take control of your life, and all of his promises are true, what do you say to this child? Do you simply visit him once a year, seeing his infancy in perpetuity? Or do you bend the knee of your heart before him? For one day, all of us will stand before him, and not as a baby, but as a risen and reigning king. And can you imagine that day when we stand before the judgment seat? Can you imagine God the Father asking, what are you doing here unforgiven? We say, well, I didn't think it mattered much. God responds, you must think I'm a fool. I sent my son into the world to die for you. And you thought it didn't matter? You may have heard this message of the angel year after year after year. So many Christmases have passed by. And you've never actually appropriated that message for yourself. You've heard of Jesus being Lord and Savior. But you've never made him your Lord and Savior. But this year, don't let another year slip by. Make this Christmas one to remember. Put your faith in Jesus and trust in his death and resurrection and that alone for your salvation. And receive the greatest gift of all, eternal life in him. The joy and peace that you've always longed for. The one who actually has the ability to carry you across the stormy, rapid-filled river of life and lands you safely on the other side. And becoming a Christian doesn't mean that your life is going to be sunshine and lollipops. In fact, life is hard for all of us. But do you know, and I've heard this recently, what the worst case scenario is for the Christian believer? Absolute worst case scenario. Resurrection and eternal life. That's the worst case scenario for those of us who put our faith in the Lord Jesus. And if you've never done that before, I invite you to pray with me tonight in the silence of your own heart to echo the words in your head. And like that wonderful hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, invite the Lord Jesus to come into your life. Surrender to him. Give over the throne that is rightfully his and know his salvation. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I confess that when I am on the throne of my life, I ruin things. I believe you are who you say you are. And I trust that your death and resurrection are all that I need to be saved and placed in right relationship with you. 
So, Lord Jesus, I relinquish the throne of my heart. I give myself wholly over to you that I might be yours and you might be mine this Christmas and always. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.